You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Today in Luke chapter 1, we're going to meet a couple, Mary and Joseph, maybe you've heard of them. Uh, You know, if you've put up a manger in your house or about to, there's Mary and Joseph. Pretty soon you're going to start receiving Christmas cards, and invariably on some of them, there's Mary and Joseph. We'll start to see movies about them, or at least depicting them, and their story might be as timely as ever. A recent study of millennials, those 18 to 35, which I just missed the cutoff. (laughs) Stick with me. A recent study of millennials indicated two major issues in their life that they want to focus on. Number one was marriage. Number two was parenting. That young people want to figure out how to get in love, fall in love, stay in love, be in a committed, good marriage, and they want to know how to raise children so that those children grow and flourish in the context of a loving household. So this great cultural longing is something God has burdened our hearts for. And what we see in today's Bible story is this amazing example from a young couple. So they're young. They're in love. They're about to get married and want to start a family. So Mary and Joseph are these extraordinary examples for everyone, but especially younger people, both single and married. We pick up their story in Luke chapter 1, Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now this is where we kind of had the story last week, the, the angel appeared to Zechariah telling him that, uh, that, that his wife Elizabeth, they're both old aged, but they're going to have a son. It's going to be John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. In that sixth month since then, God sent the angel Gabriel. Now, same angel, Gabriel, went to Zechariah. There are only two named angels in the whole Bible, Gabriel and Michael. So this is sending out the the top (laughs) echelon of, of angels. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, let me just say, Nazareth is a nothing kind of town. Is there anybody here who grew up in what you would call a nothing kind of town? Anybody want to admit to that? I see some heads shaking. Well, you got out. Congratulations. (laughs) In the days of Jesus, the town of Nazareth was in the middle of nowhere. It it had only one well, which means it could not sustain a, a large population. Estimates range between 300 and 400 people max in the town of Nazareth in the first century. This is the kind of town where everybody knows each other's business. This is definitely not a resort town. It's not a destination place. Quite the opposite. It's the kind of town you don't want to admit (laughs) that you grew up. In John's gospel, in chapter 1, Nathaniel asks concerning Jesus, can anything good come from Nazareth? The expected answer is no. 
And yet this is exactly the town that gets visited by the angel Gabriel. So he goes to Nazareth, this town in Galilee, to a virgin. This is a, a young woman. She's probably 13, 14, 15 years old. She's not yet consummated her marriage, but she's pledged to be married. Now, this is like our engagement, but much more serious. You are actually legally bound together. You would announce your wedding, the whole town would know about it, and you'd have 12 months to plan it. You didn't consummate your engagement. You didn't live together. But to cancel that engagement required a legal divorce. That's how serious it was. It was such a big deal. Everybody in town knew about it, and to undo it was very complicated. She is pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Joseph is a very simple, humble man who would have calluses on his hands because he's a carpenter. Here's what's amazing. God could have chosen anyone. He chooses them. God could have gone anywhere. He chooses Nazareth. And God is about to bring a word from himself into their life. You know, you too need a word from God to your life. And let me say, most of the time, when God speaks to us, he does so in ways that we would consider usual because we have typical lives. But sometimes he speaks in unusual ways because for them, it was going to be an atypical life. So for most of us, this is how God speaks to us. First and foremost, we get a word from God through the word of God. So we would open up God's word to us and we would read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it. And in effect, it's God's directions for us. So you want to hear a word from God, you go to the word of God and that will answer the vast majority of the questions we have about our life and the direction that God wants for us. In addition, God speaks to us through prayer. Now, if you're new to this game, you might think, okay, prayer, that's where I get to tell God what to do, right? I mean, like, God, here's what I want you to do. Here's where I need your help. Let me just say, Prayer is not that God needs to be reminded of something that he doesn't already know. So prayer is not for God. <laughs> prayer is for you and for me. You can and should open your hearts to him, sharing your experiences, your, your issues, your joys and sorrows. But at first, it's about continuing to be instructed by him as he speaks to you through the power of the Holy Spirit in your prayers. You see, prayer isn't just you speaking, it's also you listening. So prayer is where God changes and redirects your will. You come into alignment with God's will through your prayers. So there's scripture, there's prayer, and then there's also wise counsel. That's another way to receive a word from God. So you want to have a good marriage? Find a couple who has experienced God's presence and grace and power and talk to them. You want to be a good parent? 
Find people who are good parents and ask them questions so you can learn from them and receive godly wisdom. But sometimes God has something unusual and atypical, and he speaks in an unusual way. So, sometimes this is God speaking directly to a person. Now, that's unusual, but it happens in the Bible. I've never heard an audible voice from God, but I've had others tell me that they have. Sometimes God speaks through visions, dreams. And then on occasion, God sends an angel. I don't think I've ever experienced that, but the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says that sometimes in our hospitality, practicing hospitality, we can entertain angels without even knowing about it. Well, on this occasion from Luke, Mary needs and Joseph needs a word from God. So up to this point, we can assume that they've been walking with God in all the usual ways. They've been learning the Bible, studying God's word. They've been praying. They've been talking to others who have been on a faith journey longer than them so that they are learning from them. They're living life according to the information and revelation that God has provided. And again, that is far and away the best thing for us to do. If you want a word from God, you primarily go through scripture, prayer, godly counsel. And that will give you sufficient direction for your life. And if God has anything other than that, he will do so in an extraordinary and unusual way. Well, we learned that Gabriel goes to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. A great example for all women, especially young women. You know, we live in a day where I'm not particularly excited about the role models that our entertainment industry puts forth for the young girls in our churches and in our families. Those role models don't have enough clothes and enough wisdom. <laughs> Not every teenager needs to aspire to rebellion and foolishness. And look, if you were that kid, God can forgive you. God loves you. There is grace. There is forgiveness. There is hope. But what do we see in Mary? She's not dating, relating, sleeping around. Instead, what she's doing, she's worshiping God and she's saving herself for marriage. She's walking in the wisdom of God as a godly young woman. You can be a godly person, young, old, doesn't matter. We don't need additional crazy, defiant rebellion. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. It's like God looked over all the earth and went directly to Mary. He didn't pick someone from a big town. He picked somebody from a little town, small town. He didn't pick somebody who was rich. He picked somebody who was poor. He didn't pick somebody who was powerful. He picked somebody who was powerless, but she's godly. You may not be powerful, you may not be rich, but if you're godly, God can choose to use you to do special, tremendous things for his kingdom. 
As you might expect, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Think about what she must be feeling. Anxiety, stress, fear, right? It says she is greatly troubled. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. We saw this last week when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. The number one command in scripture, do not be afraid. Why is that the number one command? Why is it that God has to say this over and over? It's because we are constantly gripped with fear, anxiety, worry. Oftentimes we wonder, am I going to be okay? What's going to happen? How am I going to get through this? There are so many things that could go wrong. So what happens is fear overtakes the mind, anxiety grips the body. This is where you get stressed out. You can't sleep. You start to self-medicate. You're anxious and depressed. And over and over, God says, do not be afraid. Well, what about in this situation? What does Mary have to be afraid of? Well, let me recount her story. Okay, small town. Everyone knows each person's business. She's going to hear in a moment that she's going to be pregnant. She doesn't have a husband. What do you think her reputation is going to be in this small town? And it was possible in that day that you could be put to death for adultery. See, her reputation was, well, Mary's not a godly girl. She's an ungodly girl. Her reputation was she's not a virgin. She's a young girl that just lacks self-control. Mary has a lot to be afraid of. She could be put to death. Joseph certainly would have a right to leave her. She would be a single mom in a small town destroyed by gossip. But God was already way ahead of her. He had already said something amazing through Gabriel. He commanded her, do not fear. But here's the thing. Many times when that command, do not be afraid, fear not, appears in scripture, there's an accompanying phrase along with it, and it appeared in this story. The accompanying phrase to do not fear is, the Lord is with you. You see, these two things go together. God's presence is the answer to your anxiety for the most part. Think of it like this. How many of you have raised a kid and in the middle of the night you're awakened by screaming coming out of their room? And immediately you rush in and you want to know, first of all, they're okay, right? Nothing major is going on. You realize, okay, they've had a nightmare. But they've been gripped in that fear of, of that nightmare. For them, they're in a place where they're overcome. What do they need at that moment? They need your presence and your reassurance that says to them, hey, I'm here, I love you. And you draw near to them in a comforting voice. So when God says, do not be afraid, receive that as a sign of his presence and reassurance saying to you, I'm with you. We are going to get through this together. You see, God is a father. We're his kids. This may mean that God will not get you around your problem. 
but he will get you through it. Again, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. He has chosen you. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, which literally means God saves. Ultimately, it means God saves us from our sins. We just learned, by the way, of one of the two most significant and influential marriages in the history of the world. One of the most influential, significant marriages in the history of the world is Adam and Eve, who brought sin into the world. But here, with Mary and Joseph, they bring a savior into the world. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Let me give you a couple of things about Jesus. Number one, he is the fulfillment of scripture. Mary probably knew this. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God gave them a promise recorded in Genesis 3.15 that a woman would eventually come And that woman would give birth to a son who would ultimately conquer Satan. He would be a savior. He would forgive us of our sins. So from that moment forward, God's people are waiting for the coming of a woman who is going to have a son. The story continues in Isaiah, in chapter 7, verse 14. 700 years before Jesus was born, behold, the virgin will be with child. That woman is coming. That son is coming. And you'll know it's him because he'll be born of a virgin. And Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, that's you, O favored one. What's more, this is about God becoming a man. About a God who is outside of time coming into time. The creator enters creation, the one in all glory comes in humility. But make no mistake, he is a king, and his kingdom will never end. Now, here's the big problem that we have. It's that we are living culture up way too often and not kingdom down. That's the problem, and everybody's angry. And everybody's angry and they don't know what to do. So you can look to the left and you can look to the right. But there's not going to be any hope unless you look up. That ultimately this culture will come to an end. This nation will come to an end. All kings and kingdoms will come to an end. This world has an expiration date. This culture has an expiration date. You and I have an expiration date. And that's because the Lord Jesus is coming. And if we were to see him right now, we wouldn't see him as he was. You know, a humble, vulnerable baby who grew to be a crucified man. We would see him as he now is. High and exalted. 
seated on a throne, surrounded by angels who day and night cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth and heaven are full of your glory. You would be aware of his rule over every king and kingdom. So here's what this means. You need to know that if you belong to the Lord Jesus, you know the end. In the end, Jesus returns and he wins. In the meantime, this gives us tremendous insight how to live our lives, not culture up, but kingdom down. Who is our king? What is he like? How do we put him on display? We forgive because he forgives. We love because he loves. We give because he gives. We are generous because he is generous. We pursue those who are far away because when we were far away, he pursued us. And we don't look upon people based upon their race or age or income. We look upon them as one whom God loves. And I need you to know that the heart of this church is this profound, unshakable belief that our king is alive, he is seated on a throne, he is ruling and reigning, he hears our prayers, that we can rejoice in his presence, and that this church is to be an outpost of his kingdom. That this church belongs to this king. And when people enter into God's presence in this house, ultimately they need to experience a foreshadowing of that kingdom. A place where there is life-giving, soul-satisfying truth from God's word, love from God's people, and hope in God's future for them. So all of this is under the umbrella of what it means to be a king in the line of David and a throne that is for Jesus Christ alone. So here's what I want you to think about. What is the kingdom like? What does it look like? And ask yourself this question. How is my life to reflect that kingdom to the culture? Not merely echoing or reflecting the culture to our king because that's an offense to him. Now, do you get that all of this is being revealed to a teenage girl living in a small town who's just trying to plan her wedding? She hears all of this. All of this is revealed to her. She's got a question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? It'll be a miracle. Jesus will have an earthly mother, but not a biological father. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Jesus is the most significant person in the history of the world because he is the Son of God. He is that kingdom's, God's kingdom's representative here, and he alone is our Savior. 
Gabriel goes on to tell her, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Other translations would put that last line like this, for with God, nothing is impossible. My friends, what's impossible with God? (laughs) Nothing. God can call forth dead people from the grave. God can put a baby in an elderly, barren womb like Elizabeth. God can enter human history through the womb of a poor peasant girl like Mary. God can heal you. God can love you. God can save you. God can deliver you. God can set up his kingdom for you. God can wipe away every tear from your eyes. Nothing is impossible with God. This allows the heart to begin to hope. And that's the answer for your fears. That God is with you, that God is good, that nothing is impossible with God, and that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, how will Mary respond to all of this? This wasn't her plan. This was God's plan to to interrupt her life. So how is Mary going to respond? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is an amazingly mature response from a young woman. Was Mary's vision for her life a bad vision? No. It's just that God had a different vision. Was God's vision for Mary harder or easier than Mary's vision for herself? Oh, much harder. And yet she says, I am the Lord's servant. She is a humble servant and she trusts the Lord. Today, we stand with Mary. We all have a vision for our life, something that we've planned, hoped, dreamed, pray for it, long for it. Maybe we've even started working toward it. And the word of the Lord comes to Mary, and Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant, and I surrender. At some point, We've all got to be surrendered to God's vision for our life. And that no matter what's going on, we see God's provision and God's grace all along the way. And that will allow you to know that God is good. that God is your dad. That he will take you by the hand. And he will walk with you. And he has a plan for you. And that plan is good. You know, there's a lot of times when I'm praying with someone, whether it's in the hospital or in their home or on the phone, and I, a lot of times, will use this phrase, may you never know of a moment without God's presence, without the Lord's presence. That is my prayer for all of you. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.